Father, have your way. Have your way over this word, over your vessel. And may I bring you glory this morning. May hearts receive. May they be challenged. And may they be drawn closer to you. In Jesus' name. Good morning, church. I'm glad to be before you again. And I sound a bit loud, at least to me here. Um, do I sound okay to you guys out there? Amen. All right, let's get it. Um, and I know some of you are just joining us in this series, but since the beginning of the year, whenever I have been before the church, I have been preaching through the book of Philippians. And so we will be jumping back into Paul's letter to the Philippian church this morning. But before I start, church, I have to admit that when I began to study this passage that we will be in this morning, I found myself just a little bit challenged. I found myself challenged because as I read this text over and over again, I didn't really see a lot to grab onto, church. I found myself comparing it to the first half of Paul's letter, and as I compared it to the first half of Paul's letter, I realized that, that the first half was filled with so much doctrine and so much to dig into that when I got to this set of scriptures, I immediately felt like there was not much there. Paul is in pr prison proclaiming the gospel. And even as he is in prison, church, as if being in prison wasn't bad enough, there's other Christians in the prison with him. And instead of embracing him, they're opposing him, church. He says they are envying him and are contending against him. But he says that even in that, he rejoices. And he tells us that he's rejoicing because even though they are opposing him, Christ, he says, is being proclaimed. Therefore, he has joy because to him it doesn't matter, he says, if he lives or dies as long as the gospel is being proclaimed. As a matter of fact, church, he says that for him to be put to death would be better by far because then he would be with Christ. And after Paul gives us that great testimony, Paul says, this is how all Christians should live. <laughs> he says in verse 27 of chapter 1, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Paul challenges us to let our lives reflect this way, a way that says that no matter what I face, no matter what circumstances there are, I will contend for the gospel. And we all say it, church, and we all believe it. But if I'm truly honest, I'm sure that if many of us, church, are, are truly honest, we would ask ourselves, who can live like this, Paul? I mean, we're not apostles. We didn't write scriptures. We didn't miraculously encounter the Lord like you. The Lord didn't reveal himself to us like you in the same way that he, he revealed himself to you. We didn't reach whole regions of people with the gospel. 
And if that wasn't enough, he then gives us an example in Christ. He tells us of the humility that calls Christ to leave the glory of heaven with the Father and the Spirit in perfect harmony to come to us through the subjection of human form, taking the form of a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. And then Paul says again, therefore, walk in this way. (laughs) He says, so that my labor to you would not be in vain. So not only, church, does he say, walk in this way, but Paul puts this great weight on top of the task of walking in this way. And so for many of us, I am sure that we hear scriptures like this. We see Paul give two examples that we know we could never live out. And I think if we're all honest, many of us leave the scriptures and sermons Believing that God didn't really call us to walk in this way. I am sure that there are many things that we read in God's word that he tell us that we can have now that we we truly believe we will never see on earth. Believing that we will only see it in glory. But the problem with that is, church, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is calling us to live in this way in the here and now. He says, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, walk like this. He says, live like this amongst each other. Live with a humility that leaves you willing to put your lives on the line for the gospel and for your brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, do this so that you might shine as lights in the world and and as you hold fast to God's great word. Paul says, live in this way that we might rejoice together in the end. He says, don't worry about me, church. As long as you carry out the gospel mission, we will rejoice together. And as Paul is encouraging them, church, I realize that his words even sounded like Christ. As I was reminded of John 16, when Christ told his disciples that he had to leave them, and he says to them in verse 22, he says, therefore you too have grief now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. Jesus in John 16 announces to his disciples his departing from them. A departure that brought them much grief. But he tells them that though they might feel grief in his absence, there will be a day when they will rejoice together again. Though they might grieve now because he is going, he says there will be a day when they will have joy. He says joy that no one can take away. And he encourages them by telling them that though he cannot be with them, He is sending a helper to them, one who is like him in the Holy Spirit, church, one who will guide them into all truth. And much like Jesus, Paul tells his disciples the same as well. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 17 through 18, he tells them to hold fast to the word so that in the day of the Lord, they will rejoice together again. 
He says, though he can't be with them now, though they might have grief in, in, in his absence, he encourages them to remain faithful. And he tells them that he's not going to leave them alone, but that he is sending help. Those who can guide him into living out this way of Christ. But instead of sending the Holy Spirit as Jesus did, Paul says, I'm commending to you two brothers filled with the Spirit. Two brothers that have exemplified this way of humility. Two brothers, much like yourselves who have embodied the humility of Christ. Paul says, I'm sending to you Timothy and Epaphroditus. A commendation, church, that for them had to have seemed a bit strange. It had to have seemed a bit unusual. Unusual because these two men, church, do not need commendation. As the Philippian church is well acquainted with both of them. You see, Timothy has visited and spent time with the church on more than one occasion. And Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippian church to go and take care of Paul. They do not need to be commended to them because they know them. And so why would Paul, church, take time to commend these two men to the church? Many scholars have varying reasons why they think Paul does this, church. But I believe that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knows our tendencies. Paul knows that we see him as something different from us. He knows that he just gave us two extraordinary examples to follow, and he uses the testimony of these two brothers to say, what about them? He says, look, church, at these disciples of Christ who are just like you, two men who you have seen and known. In fact, not, 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 not uh, uh, are they only known, but Epaphroditus is of you. Two brothers who have no special abilities or titles. They're not the Messiah. They're not apostles, but they are fellow servants of Christ just like you. And their lives are examples of the very way that Paul has been encouraging this church to walk in. And so I believe that rather than just leaving us with examples of Paul and Jesus, he gives us two more in Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he begins with Timothy, the same Timothy church that we learned had a bad stomach and frequent ailments. The one who Paul encouraged in first and second Timothy as he encouraged him to be bold and confident, telling him to not let anyone despise him for his youth. The one who, who he warned to flee youthful passions and told to beware of those who might lead him astray. It's this young man who Paul had to remind and encourage that much like uh, us uh, and the Philippian church, he also commends to. But Paul lets us know that though he is ordinary like us, he has lived out an extraordinary life. And the church 
uh, this is our point for this morning. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm switching it up a little bit this morning. Bear with me. There's only one point, <laughs> which is simply ordinary people can live extraordinary lives when they seek to love God and serve others. And so as we jump into this text, let us examine these two ordinary men to see what led them to live out these extraordinary lives. As we begin in verse 19, where Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by, good, uh, by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Paul lets us know that the sending of Timothy is mutually beneficial. As he believes that the sending of Timothy would not only help them to live out this way, but that as he sends Timothy, that he would return back to him with good news. Much like Epaphroditus will do in his returning to the Philippian church. A hope that they would receive the letter with open ears and open hearts as they heed dear words from Paul. Words that he is hoping would lead them to continue in the way of Christ. But what is it, church, about Timothy that leaves Paul so confident? That gives him hope that he's going, uh, uh, that his going to them would bring about good news. Well, Paul gives us a few reasons why he is so confident in his sending of Timothy Church, but he begins by letting us know that this hope is not founded in Timothy so much, but in the Lord. Paul's confidence, church, is founded in the Lord's provision. He is trusting that if the Lord makes provision for Timothy to go, that he will also bring about fruit through Timothy's life. And Paul believes this church because this is what he has seen in his own life. Paul's missionary journeys have always began with guidance and provision from the Lord. In fact, church, we learn in the book of Acts that there was places that Paul wanted to go but was prevented from going to. And so Paul's confidence begins with the Lord's provision in allowing Timothy to go. But then Paul also says to us in verse 20, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He says, for they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. Paul makes a bold statement here, church, as he points us to Timothy's concerns. He says, I have no one like him. This is Paul who have encountered countless disciples. This is Paul who have encountered regions, church. And he says, I have no one like him. How? How is it, church, that he has no one like him? 
He says, there are none who are as genuinely concerned as he is about the welfare of the church. Paul, in pointing us to the concerns of Timothy, points us to Timothy's heart and his mind. He points us to what concerns Timothy in his most inner core. And he says, I have no one like this. He's reemphasizing what he has been telling the church throughout this letter, church. As he stated in chapter 1, verse 17, when he said there were men who were proclaiming Christ out of what? Selfish ambition. And in chapter 2, verse 3, as he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Paul, in describing Timothy's genuine concern, is reinforcing his warning of Christians with disingenuous concerns, church. Concerns that only have their best interest in mind. And he says this uh, to the church. He says, I am sending you one who is not like them, but one who is much different. One who has a genuine concern for the body of Christ and whose life has reflected this over the span of him coming to Christ. One who will genuinely and truly give his life to see your good and God's glory. Paul wants to remind them that there are others living this way. Those who share in the same Christ-likeness and humility as Paul does. Men and women with no special abilities and titles, but ordinary men and women accomplishing extraordinary works. Not only church in their proclaiming of the gospel, but also in their concerns and in their actions. Those who are willing, much like Paul, to put their lives on the line for gospel advancement. As their mind and their hearts develops genuine concern that leads to Christ-like action. And Paul says, Timothy is this very one. And not only is he one who possesses this type of concern, but he is one who you know. And, he have, and you have seen him live out this very thing as he counts others more significant than himself. Paul says those more concerned with selfish ambition are stifled in their hearts as their self-centeredness keeps them from being genuinely concerned about anyone other than themselves. Can you imagine having a church full of people with selfish ambition? Well, church, you don't have to imagine this, for this is the very thing that we see in the Corinthian church. And in even some churches today, a church divided where each person is looking to their own interests, looking to propel themselves as they seek platform and fame. Those who have fallen into sexual sin and idol worship, chasing after all kinds of pursuits, leading them to corruption and sin, leading them to all the things that Paul is warning the Philippian church about in this letter. Listen to what Paul writes 
to the Corinthian church in chapter 1, verse 10, as he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. This is the very thing he told the Philippian church at the beginning of this letter. But why does he say this to the Corinthian church? Let's look at verse 11. He says, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. These are the very things that Paul is warning the Philippian church of. Selfish ambition that leads to grumbling and quarreling. And grumbling and quarreling that leads to all kinds of division. As selfish pursuits leads to sinful pursuits. And look at what he also tells this church in chapter 4, verse 15 through 17. He says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ, uh, in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then to be imitators of me. That is why I sent you who? Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Paul is warning the Philippian church to not let selfish ambition rule over them. He is warning them, church, to not fall into the ways of the Corinthian church, a church that he himself planted, a church who he loved and warned as well, who found themselves chasing after the things of this world. And so he urges them, church, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. And he says to them, this is why I sent Timothy to you in church. This is the same reason why he is sending Timothy to the Philippian church and why he believes that Timothy will bring back good news because there is no one like Timothy who will imitate him in the same way and, and, and who will imitate Christ in humility and love. We learn at the end of Philippians in chapter 4 that there were some disagreements in their body. And so Paul, much like he did for the Corinthian church, is sending his best imitator to Philippi. The one who he says is like a son to him. This is what Paul tells us in verse 22 of Philippians as he says, But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. The continued evidence of Timothy's life has proven him to be an imitator of Paul to the point where his likeness and character is so identical to Paul's that he calls him his son. His faithfulness and genuineness of concern models a humility and Christ-likeness that has proven his worth and usefulness to gospel mission. Timothy Church has not only been a teacher, but a model 
alongside Paul of humility. And he says, this is why I'm commending him to you. This is why I know that he will bring back good news, hoping that they would be responsive, not only to Paul's letter, but to Timothy's ways so that they don't end up like the Corinthian church, a church that does not display Christ at all. Paul is trying to help them and us to see that there must be genuine concern for others as that genuine concern for others is what builds healthy community. Even today, church, we can see what a fixation on oneself leads to. All we got to do is look at the world and see how everyone is looking to their own interests a world that at every angle, church, is divided. A world that has no joy. Though some might have a temporary happiness. But church, the happiness that they have, please trust me, hear me, college students. The happiness that the world has will not last. As their happiness comes from temporary satisfaction, a temporary satisfaction that will eventually lead you to a dissatisfaction. Why do you think people pursue jobs giving everything they have to get it, only to later hate the very job they worked so hard for? Or why people get into relationships only to later regret having met that person that they thought they would love forever? Or why people pursue cars, homes, and riches only to find that they need more and more and more and newer and newer and newer soon after they get it? Because none of that can truly satisfy. None of it can truly bring joy. Church, there's something in looking to the interests of others that never fades. That brings about a joy that no one can ever take away. Think about your genuine concern for the thriving of your loved ones. Think about your genuine concern for the thriving of your spouse and your children. I love watching my wife grow in the Lord, church. I love to see her move out of her comfort zone and then find enjoyment in it. I loved it when Amaya came home talking about the book that they read with the students, hearing about how she was thinking and processing the topics that they were engaging. Isn't there something about watching those who you're genuinely concerned about begin to flourish. Something there that brings a joy to your heart that no one can ever take away. This is what Paul is reminding them of. And this is what Timothy has displayed throughout his life, proving his worth. Not just a genuine concern, church, for immediate family, but a genuine concern for the family of faith. And Timothy's not some super saint, church, but he's just a disciple like you and I. 
a disciple that has the spirit of God and the mind of Christ, who has nurtured his desire to live out the mission of God. Timothy is one who displays a true love for God and neighbor as he seeks to bring about the glory of God and as he seeks to love his neighbor as he would himself. This is the command of Christ. The two commands that he says everything else is hinged on. And Paul says that Timothy has proven this to be true in his life. He, this has proven to be true in his life as well as Epaphroditus. And so let me ask you, church, has this proven to be true in your life? Has it? Are we genuinely concerned about the interests of others? Because Christ did not save us to wait to glory to put that on display. But he's calling us to live in this way of humility and love today. That we might be a community of those like Timothy with proven worth as sons and daughters of Christ. And so Paul says in verse 23, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. But not only is he sending Timothy, but Paul says in verse 25 that he is also sending Epaphroditus. He says in verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have had sorrow upon sorrow. Paul said, not only am I sending you Timothy, but I am also sending another like him, another one much like Timothy who has a genuine concern for you. He says, for he has been longing for you and he has been distressed because of your concern for him. For he is a fellow brother and he has been ministering alongside me. He has been working for the glory of God and for the good of others. And Paul says, not just the good of others, but Paul says that he has specifically been ministering to my needs. And I love how Paul says it, church. He says he is your messenger and minister, meaning you know him. And not only do you know him, but he is of you. And you sent him to me because of your genuine concern for me. And he came to me because of his genuine concern for me as well. Therefore, you know of this brother's proven worth. You know that he had a genuine concern for my interests, and now he has the same concern for you. And he has been longing to see you, knowing that you have been distressed. And, and, and as you watched him put his life on the line to serve me, you were concerned about him. 
And now I'm sending him back to serve you. That he might help you all to continue in this way. That he might share with you the the same heart and mind with you so that you might share that same heart and mind with each other that you had for he and I. Paul is reminding them to think about how they felt about Epaphroditus when they heard that he was ill. And he is reminding them to think about how they felt about when when they heard news that Paul was in prison. And he is reminding them to have that same concern for those who are before them. As he says, it is a right concern, church. Because not only was Epaphroditus ill, but he was near death. This is how we must see the lives of those around us. As we have an enemy that seeks to kill us. We must be reminded that there is one who seeks to kill the witness of the church and our concern should lead us to pursue this way of humility with urgency. As there are many amongst us, church, who are facing possible death. And Paul says, no, that it wasn't only hard for you, but it was also hard for me. Paul says in verse 27, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow, meaning I would have been extremely grieved had he died trying to serve me. I would have had grief. Paul is saying, I couldn't imagine hearing that Epaphroditus lost his life trying to serve mine. And he is reminding us, church, that he too is human. That he's not some super robot or some super apostle that is not concerned about those around him. He is saying, just because I tell you that I'm okay with giving my life for the gospel doesn't mean that I want you to go through the same afflictions that I have. He is saying, I too have a genuine concern for you. And this is why I'm sending him Back to you. Don't think that my my willingness to give my life for the gospel is because of lack of emotion and humility. But he lets them know that it's because his emotions and concern for the saints is what drives him to give his life for them. It's because of his desire and concern, church to see all come to Christ, that, that, that leads him to be willing to give everything for it. And it's because of his concern and compassion for the body that in hearing of, the, of his suffering, he was brought to much grief, much in the same way that Jesus' concern for the body led him to much compassion and grief. This is what we see in Matthew 9, verse 36, as it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Or Matthew 14 and 14, that says, when he went to Shaw, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. 
or one of the most known scriptures of Jesus' compassion in John 11, after the death of Lazarus, as Jesus displays great compassion for those around him, as it says in verse 33, that when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and greatly troubled. Paul is showing us that this is what drove Christ to us. A genuine concern for those who have been broken down by the weight of sin. A humility that brought him to us despite our being unconcerned about him and his glory. And this is what he is instilling in us as believers that it might drive us, church, to giving our lives to see others receive life as well. That it might drive us to the joy of walking in his ways. That we might be genuinely concerned about the well-being of those sitting next to you, to your right and to your left. And that that concern for others might drive all of us to live out extraordinary lives as we go to the ends of the earth taking the gospel to those in need as we plant churches going overseas for missions as we evangelize our neighborhoods Paul is saying we need a heart and mind that will drive us to be postured in this way of humility that we might see the ills of this broken world and that our distress for those who are sick would lead us to live in this very way that we might see them healed, church. This is why Cameron and Redeemer Church is hoping to go to the Glenwood area. This is why Grant Yao and Renewal Church is hoping to go to East Greensboro, why members are going to the Middle East. This is why we're partnering with churches, why we're supporting those starting seminaries in Portugal, church. Because we long to see this world renewed so that God might have mercy on them and heal their brokenness, that the stress of living in this broken world, seeing sin and fighting sin over and over and over and over again might be relieved. Church, I'm sure that there are brothers and sisters in our midst today that are struggling. Let us have that same concern for them. that we have for those in our immediate family church. Let us have the same concern for them that we have for those around the world. Let us all check our hearts today, making sure that we are as concerned about them as we are about ourselves. Concern, church, that would drop us to our knees in prayer begging the Father for fruit of repentance in their lives and in ours, that they might be freed from the grip of Satan and sin. Church, let us think about our hearts today. Let us think about what truly moves us. And let us ask the Lord if our concerns are in the right place. Concerns that would truly lead us to live out a life that bring God glory. 
concerns that would truly lead us to love our neighbors as ourselves. The same concern, church, that led Paul to send Epaphroditus back to the Philippian church. He says, so that you may be able to rejoice in seeing him again, knowing all that, has, that he has been through to serve God and others. And then he says in verse 29, so receive him in the Lord with joy and honor such men. Honor those, church, who live in this way. Those with genuine humility. Because it's those who model to us what Christ looks like. Not, not those who long for praise and platform. But ordinary men who are faithful to do the will of God that deserve much honor. Those who might not have much in this life, church, in the form of wealth and status. But those who have built a wealth of glory in the life to come. Let us honor those who are like this and let us long to see this in our ordinary lives that God might do an extraordinary work in ours. Let us pray, church.